guys, welcome, believe it or not, to the final podcast episode of 2017, which in style just comes out on December 31. So you can listen to this as you're getting ready to your New Year's Eve party, or if you decided to stay at home because New Year's Eve parties suck, which is actually true, unless you're on a crap load of drugs, you can listen to this at home. So um, this will be a grandiose review episode of 2017 where I will be talking about all the lessons learned from this previous year and I will be reflecting on the biggest epiphanies and kind of overarching themes of 2017 and at the end of all of this I will kind of outline my general plans that I have for going forward in the next year with the podcast and all. And I'm doing this because there have been plenty and I mean really plenty of lessons learned in 2017. Um, you know, first off, I'd like to say that to me, this is what a good year looks like. Not because it was perfect and rhythm with a bunch of success all over, although there were some cool stuff that happened, but because it was really eventful with some severe lows at times and euphoric highs at other times with incredibly exciting periods and also some other times that were just stressful as hell. But all in all, now looking back at it, I can say that it was one hell of a year. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't all glamorous. But, you know, and, and this is one big lesson that I've learned in the past over many, many times that how ideal your circumstances are matter a lot in that moment. So in that given situation, you, of course, want things to be perfect and ideal. But in retrospect, what really makes for a feeling of fulfillment is just a general sense of being alive and the intensiveness of your life just all over. So, you know, if I look back at the times which were the most fulfilling for me in retrospect, were always those where actually quite a few really painful things happened and I had to fight my way through them and just come out at the other end. And this year, I had a few, not a ton, but a few of these painful moments, which I did fight my way through. And now in retrospect, they were mainly blessings from the sky because they really made my year emotionally intense. I guess you could say that the area under the curve in terms of emotional intensity was pretty large. And really, I think looking over this past year of mine really derives meaning if I contrast it to the year before, which was far less fulfilling I just felt empty and just with full of regrets at the end of it, so much so that I remember last year, sometime between Christmas and New Year's, or might have actually been Christmas Eve, I've had this moment of realization of how much time I wasted away and how much things I missed out on. And I know this is not very manly, whatever, but I literally cried myself to sleep on that Christmas Eve. And I think that moment was really needed or mo moments like that were needed to kind of plant the seed in my head that something needs to change and I can't keep living like this if I actually want to be happy. So um, maybe let's just start with the very big picture stuff of what the biggest lessons of mine were and why this eventually turned out to be a really incredible year or one that if I can look back at my upcoming year like this, like I did to this previous one, I will consider that to be an incredible year too. So the first thing I want to say is that I've had a hypothesis for a while about happiness, life fulfillment, which I kind of developed upon the time when I first got into personal development and started following some of the successful people that I still follow and started reading books such as Flow uh, from my fellow Hungarian, whose name I can actually pronounce, unlike all of you guys. So it's Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. 
so the view I developed uh, on living a fulfilling, satisfying, happy life is that if I'm being productive, if I'm producing things of value, if I adopt the perfect productivity system of you know waking up, pumping out tons of good work by some awesome to-do list or schedule, and then I continuously progress towards my goals while, of course, I'm aiming to be the best version of myself physically too. So I'm sculpting the best body that I can for myself. I'm optimizing my lifestyle. So, you know, simply put, if each and every day I'm getting a step closer towards becoming the best me that I can be, then my happiness will sort itself out. And then all these shallow experiences like meeting up with people, going out, traveling, getting involved in adventures... It's just completely unnecessary, and I'm beyond that. And in short, this hypothesis of mine failed completely. So if I had to name one thing that was, I hope, a lifelong lesson for myself, is that no matter how much you optimize all aspects of personal development, you do need to attend to your basic needs as an emotional, pleasure-seeking creature. So yes, all the things I've just mentioned— producing things of value, being productive, striving towards becoming better is a critical component of being satisfied and fulfilled. But if these things come at the complete expense of having fun in life, then that will be a surefire way to not only burn yourself out and be exhausted prematurely, but also to lose motivation in the process. And, you know, I've had this conversation with a lot of people that when you are happy, when you are excited about life, it's so much easier to stick to your diet, to be productive, to wake up on time, to keep your room organized, you know, whatever it may be, you know, and, and I think that this also the case with this entire personal development game in general. I think that when you are engaged with the world around you and just life in general, a lot of the things that you feel like you should do to better yourself kind of become the obvious right thing to do. I found that a lot of the behaviors, be it with nutrition or productivity, that for the longest time I had to go to endless lengths to force myself to do, became completely kind of mindless automatic things I started to do once I started prioritizing my happiness and became more engaged with the world around me. And I sort of had this realization some time ago, once I started doing things once again, and just living life a bit more that, that, oh my God, like, is this how being alive feels like? It's, it's kind of hard to describe the feeling that I had, but it was sort of this wake up call that I simply need to start living because I'm going to run out of time. Um, so ever since then, that has been the life philosophy that at least I've been trying to live by. And, you know, I've, I've said this recently on someone else's podcast. I think it was a philosophical weightlifting podcast. So check that one out that, um, I'm an introverted guy. I'm really good by myself, I guess. I don't need a lot of stimulation or human interaction compared to the average person, I would say. So if there was one person to whom it could be true that these life experiences don't matter much, I think it would be kind of me. Because the degree to which I can be comfortable being just by myself is kind of scary. But even I can tell you hands down that human interaction and novel experiences matter. So that was lesson number one to me. The biggest lesson which I had known for a while, but uh, this year was a perfect demonstration of this once again, is rethinking once again about this concept of stepping out of your comfort zone really means. Because, of course, it's a common catchphrase in the personal development space, you know, this uh, step outside of your comfort zone thing. But 
I had for a long time kind of created myself a fake definition of this and started doing things according to that. And to kind of expand upon that, to me, stepping outside of your comfort zone means things that are uncomfortable to you in a way that you would momentarily do anything to avoid them, but you know that they can help you to become better in some way in the long term. So, you know, I mean, cutting off your finger is definitely something that you would want to avoid momentarily at all costs, but it doesn't necessarily make you better in any way in the long term either if you force yourself to do it. Um, but on the other hand, if you, for example, are terrified of public speaking because you have terrible performance anxiety, then forcing yourself to take part in events like that when you have to stand out there and you have to kind of go through hell again and again is probably an incredible way to defeat your fear if you actually go into it with the right attitude of, okay, I want to actually benefit from this and I know that this is going to help me grow. And to me, personally, these things would be things like, funny enough, taking part in social events or going to different places and spend full days around people. <laughs> you know, I'm personally at my absolute comfort zone when I can withdraw from the world completely to my little ivory tower and just be neck deep into reading interesting stuff, contemplating interesting stuff and hitting the gym. Like that's my comfort zone. And it's really insidious because these things look greatly productive on the surface. And of course they are. I mean, they do, of course, make me improve in various ways. But it also allows me to not face all the things that I have the biggest difficulties with and I would benefit from bringing up the most. Like... I've never been one of these socially, naturally cool, pleasant guys. I've always been kind of an outsider, which is never going to change. I mean, to some degree, it will always be the case. But, you know, in these areas, I do feel like I have certain burning issues that I absolutely need to fix if I want to have the best life I can have. And I think that for one, identifying what these areas are for you is tricky and requires some self-awareness. And then addressing them requires either putting yourself in an environment where you have no real choice but to commit to certain things or to put certain life rules in place. So to give an example, I know that if I have the chance to take part in a social event or, you know, to go on a trip of some kind, then my first gut reaction will always be no. Like I would say that 9.5 times out of 10 I would rather not go and stay home. And then I would rationalize it by saying that, well, I'm working on something important or I'm educating myself, so I'm doing it for the greater good. So for that reason, I know that what my gut instinct says about these situations is basically completely irrelevant. And if I'm invited to something, then the default answer should be yes. And I just have to ignore how I feel. And then, you know, later, when I look back, pretty much nine times out of 10, I'm actually glad that I took part in these things. So I recommend that you think about what the areas are in your life that have been kind of long lasting issues for you and you feel like they would really benefit from addressing them and try to come up with some kind of game plan as to how you want to do it. And and like in my case, it doesn't always have to be some super elaborate strategy or scheduling or, or anything like that. Sometimes it literally has to be some dumb rule, like what I'm following, where it's like, okay, I'm invited, so I'm going. Another big thing, uh, kind of a personal development lesson that I think, once again, is talked about a lot, but it's tempting to try to find ways around it, is that we can't get the best of everything. And I'll expand upon that. You know, 
we have limited resources in terms of money and time. And we have to pick and choose our battles and, and our treasures too. So, you know, for me, I have basically four areas uh, that I'm focusing on right now in my life or four big projects on my plate. And it's simply not possible to attack all of those with a full-out effort. For one, because there's just a limited amount of time and all of these require a certain amount of time investment. But B, probably more importantly, is because I believe that if you want to do a real good job at something, it kind of has to become a part of you in a way that it fills the gaps between your thoughts during any random minute of your day. So for example, during my time from 2013 to 2016, my knowledge of nutrition and fitness and, and actually the corresponding English vocabulary w has increased really dramatically to the point that I could actually start podcasting and putting out content on it because I was thinking about that stuff all the time. And, you know, these English phrases and concepts regarding health and fitness just started filling up the gaps between my thoughts. And, you know, if I would have attacked this fitness knowledge thing as a strictly scheduled project where I would have said, okay, I'm going to, let's say, every day from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m., I'm going to read and write about this topic, but for the rest of the day, my mind will be somewhere completely else, then it would have been much more difficult and it would have taken much longer to get even to this place where I'm at right now. So really, I think that focusing on multiple areas of your life at once is possible, but giving your all out like borderline obsessive efforts is only possible to one thing. And the way I conceptualize this for myself is by using uh, Mike Isratel's volume landmark concepts metaphorically. So, you know, the way it would look like in terms of training and muscle growth is that you have maintenance volume or the amount of volume necessary to keep your muscle mass, the minimum effective volume, which is the minimum amount to progress at all. And then maximal adaptive volume, which is the maximum amount you can do continuously and benefit from it, and the maximum recoverable volume, which are the most amount that you can do and just recover. And that's something you should only do periodically because it's just not sustainable. So like I said, I have four big ongoing projects in my life. Uh, but one of them, I'm intentionally not naming it as I don't want to jinx it, is really important. And I'm kind of running against a deadline with it. So that's what I'm going to attack with my all-out effort. So I'm kind of picking my maximum adaptive volume there, where I'm thinking about that stuff most of the time. I'm always contemplating different ways as to how I could optimize it more. And I'm dedicating a considerable part of my brain space to that thing. And then if I contrast it to how I'm approaching my fitness, for example, at the moment, it's very much at a minimum effective volume kind of level. And I know it's very meta and confusing at this point because I don't actually refer to the actual amount of volume I do in the gym, but the entire fitness game as a whole. So nutrition, training, lifestyle, optimization, everything. I'm just trying to optimize all of those just enough so that I can keep making steady, slow progress. So I still have ambitions there and I want to improve, but I'm only willing to dedicate resources to this whole thing to an extent that it doesn't compromise this other thing to which I want to give my all to. It's kind of like prioritizing different muscle groups uh, with your training or bringing up weak points. Sometimes uh, if you really want to blast a given body part, you kind of have to put other things on the back burner.
Okay, so next couple of key points. I briefly want to touch on fitness-related lessons, and I guess there are sort of two things I want to touch on. Uh, The first thing is that a big overarching theme of my fitness journey has been working on my mindset and attitude towards this whole fitness game so that I can view my training and my nutrition as things that would aid my progress as opposed to something that I need to do to prevent myself from backsliding. So, you know, for a long time, I didn't have a healthy relationship with training and nutrition, where basically I viewed training as a means of burning calories and my nutrition as something where I needed to walk kind of a tightrope between allowing myself to have fun, but doing different measures in creative ways so that I won't lose my abs. So none of that is healthy and sustainable in the long term. And so I think a big project that kind of ruled the second part of this previous year was switching my mindset both with training and with nutrition towards a healthier state where both of those things are viewed in a way that they should be viewed in. So with training, I think in an ideal world, we would view training as a means of getting better and how that would manifest itself in terms of day-to-day behavior is that we would have certain performance goals. So right now, I'm looking for progression on a few key lifts in the gym, such as chin-ups, overhead presses, squats, weighted push-ups. And now when I'm entering the gym... I'm excited to see if I can hit a new PR on those. And this way, to me, now the gym is a place where I can set little challenges to myself to beat my previous best. Um, When it comes to nutrition, I think there are multiple ways in which we can define, quote-unquote, the optimal place to be. But I think with food, it's easier to talk about the things that should be definitely be worked on. So if your psychology around food and eating is is characterized by a lot of fear, be it from different foods or food environments or from your own instincts and just inability to control yourself, those are definitely things to work on. You know, I think, um, like I talked about it a lot of times on the podcast, it's something that we should all realize that if you're heavily invested in controlling your body composition and body fat levels, then it's really hard not to develop some funky and to some degree disordered eating patterns. You know, if you have been down to very lean levels of body fat, then for most people, by definition, that means that for prolonged periods of time, you have been eating considerably less calories than what you needed to function and feel at your best, which again, for most people, by definition, pretty much means that you have spent prolonged times in a state where food, no pun intended, ate up a lot of your brain space. And After that, you know, it's hard to be emotionally neutral about it. You know, this is one reason why the whole topic of disordered eating and dieting psychology kind of gotten a royal spot in my podcast and probably still going to be in the future because I just find it to be a fascinatingly interesting topic that with food, we have this thing that is fundamental for survival, like we can't live without it, and it also provides a lot of hedonic pleasure But if we have too much of it, then these bad things start to happen, like weight gain and eventually obesity, diabetes, etc. And then if we want to look really good, then we need to have even less than normal amounts of it. So we start mucking around with this fundamental biological drive, which is the drive to eat. 
And then all these wonky psychological and behavioral things start to happen, which if you're looking at it from this perspective, it's really not that surprising. I mean, if, for example, breathing or taking in too much oxygen was harmful to us or we needed to restrict our oxygen consumption somewhat to look our best, then, you know, probably you would see a lot of people developing all kinds of weird, disordered behaviors around breathing. So I think... Over time, wherever we are in our journeys, we should be working on getting back towards a healthy psychological state with this whole thing, where the one phrase that would accurately describe your fitness-related behaviors is that you just train and eat to support your training, as opposed to we try to not get fat, so we try to eat less calories and burn more calories by whatever means we can. And you know, if you're not in this boat and you already have an awesome, healthy relationship with all of this, then that's great. And props to you. And please try to help people around you who you suspect have these kinds of problems. This brings me to another realization that I had this previous year, which is sometimes you have to take a good look at where you are in your own personal journey and be appreciative of the accomplishments accordingly and realize that some things that you want to achieve and that are sort of your end goals, you just can't attack at that specific time with your best efforts. So, for example, when it comes to my own personal fitness journey, I know that I can still build a lot of muscle and my goal is to progress towards building up the best machine that I can build up over time. But because of certain mental problems that I had to fight with for a long time in the past, it was just simply not possible to give it my best efforts at certain times simply because I got sidetracked or got distracted by these other things that I still had to manage. You know, because I spent at least one full year of my life in this terrible state and it really sucked out a lot of happiness and joy out of my life. And, you know, some of the damage that I did to my psyche during these times is still kind of lingering around as this little mental score that I need to fix. So just to give an example, a few weeks ago, uh, actually maybe just a week after I released my holiday eating tips episode, I actually did find myself having some fretting and some unease around the whole holiday period. You know, just the general stuff of how things will be, how many events I will have to manage nutritionally, etc. And as I was having these thoughts, I started feeling kind of guilty for even having these thoughts in the first place. Like, I started being kind of hard on myself, as in, come on, you should know better. I thought you were over all of this bullcrap, blah, blah. And at one point, I had to stop and take a second to kind of have a reality check type of compassionate talk with myself where I kind of told myself that, look, you've just completed arguably the best five or six months of progression of your past several years or perhaps of your entire life in terms of training, nutrition, mindset, lifestyle, flexibility, everything. So let's take a moment to first appreciate this because you actually come a very long way and you do deserve a pat on the back. But on the other hand, we, or in this case, I, have to come to grips with the fact that years of mental conditioning is not going to just dissipate overnight, even if you had such a good role that I had. Because really, for the better part of the past one or two years, I basically trained myself to think in certain ways and correspondingly to act in certain ways. And that training obviously takes time to undo, unfortunately. So um, that was kind of big um, life lesson that I learned. Um, and then other fitness goals, I guess I could talk about a lot of other things here, but 
I think I'll constrain it to the thing that I think can be the most beneficial for most of you guys listening, which is the biggest sort of um, theme that I want my upcoming year to be dominated by is sustainability. And it's not because I have this podcast name and I want to be true to it. It's because I think I definitely arrived to the point in my journey where I can be confident in saying that I want this whole fitness thing to be a lifelong part of my life. And I'm not just in for some quick fix. And given that realization, now I really need to start thinking in terms of what kinds of actions will allow me to make this a lifelong project. So now I'm really trying to make an effort to shift my mindset from chasing short-term aesthetic or even strength goals to chase long-term sustainable progression. And I think this is not only important to avoid injuries or causing myself mental issues when it comes to the nutritional and behavioral side of things, but also to build up the identity that I want to have in the long term. And this really comes down to asking yourself or myself, you know, what kind of person do I want to become in the long term in general, but in this case, in relation to training and nutrition. So, you know, when it comes to nutrition and training, in the long term, I want to be the guy in the bunch who is in good shape, but is a chill person, has an active social life, doesn't obsess over things, just generally enjoys life, and, and also has other interests. It's not just some gym rat who maybe has a decent physique, but there's not much else going on for him. And so with this outlook on things in mind, I'm trying to look at the things that I'm doing currently with the question in mind of, how does this translate to the type of person I want to become eventually? So, for example, not going on this weekend trip with my friends to be able to get my workout volume in or doing 30,000 steps today because I overate a little bit or doubling my, my workout volume in the gym because I have lots of social events coming up. You know, these are some of the things that maybe I would have done maybe two years ago. Uh, and now I try to stop for a second and ask myself, is this the type of life I want to live? And, you know, I think that having this kind of longevity-oriented outlook is difficult when you still have a lot of potential to improve yourself. And that obviously gives you a, se a sense of urgency. So, you know, Jeff Alberts, one of my role models in the whole physique-building game, he has been training for 30-plus years. And for him, in a sense, it's easier to have this longevity-oriented outlook now because he has had the physique he wanted to build for a long time. I don't have that physique yet, and I know that I have to build a lot of muscle before I can get there. But at the same time, I'm trying to remind myself that even in the short term, if I look at the timeline, which will be required for me to put on the next you know, 10 to 15 pounds of muscle that uh, I can still put on, which, you know, if everything goes right, might be another year and a half, maybe. Um, that's, you know, with an average weekly training frequency of maybe four or five that's 350 training sessions. So if today I need to skip a day because I feel tired or sick or I'll be out of town, no worries. I have a lot more training sessions to complete. Another little mantra that I like to do is um, related to what Paul Ravella said on my podcast, which is there are no urgencies in bodybuilding. There are only urgencies in life, which I think is just so on point and so true. You know, you can always do another set tomorrow in the gym, or you can always create that extra 500 calories of deficit or have that extra serving of protein, whatever it may be. 
But there are things in life related to family life, work life, social life that do need to be taken care of right there or there might be no other chance to do it. So really, there are no urgencies with training and nutrition. There are only urgencies in life. So that would be my fitness lessons. And uh, finally, I'd like to take a few minutes to talk about the lessons that I've learned about podcasting and just content creation in general and kind of my plans going forward with SSD next year. Um, so f- the first big lesson, which to me is one of the most cherished ones, is that I finally came to embrace the fact that podcasting is my thing and it's not short informational videos. Those things, for now at least, are just simply not my thing. And this may seem like an insignificant discovery, but really for the longest time, I've been in this limbo where I felt like I should join into the crowd of successful YouTubers who put out these short, entertaining, informational videos, such as Radu Antonio, such as Vitru Vivian Physique, uh, such as Jeff Nippard. And again and again, I had to realize that it is just not a good fit. You know, I've had videos almost fully edited and ended up just not publishing them because I just watched them and... I just got annoyed by how I look there, the silly facial expressions I made, the fake tone. And you know, it's it's an interesting lesson because on the one hand, there's a lot to be said for adopting a growth type of mindset where you're not stating things like, I'm not cut out for X and having faith in that you can make work whatever you're passionate about. And the thing is, I'm sure that I could make it work, but at the same time, I do think that podcasting seems to be a naturally pretty good fit for me. So why not capitalize on that? And secondly, I've had a a pretty amazing epiphany when um, I listened to a podcast episode from 3D Muscle Journey with the title Career Versus Clickbait, where they were talking about how people get into all kinds of unauthentic content production in the hopes of getting followers. Because the way they think it's going to unfold is that they build up a large following by whatever means they can, uh, and then they are going to leverage that by selling products or whatever. But the thing is, is that unless you just look unusually freaking amazing where you can just post cool selfies of yourself and you know you can hope to get some sponsorship deal from some clothing brand or something the only way you can turn your content production into a business or a career long term is if you produce the type of content from the get-go which will be in line with the types of services that you will want to put out later so for example If I was to do all kinds of funny videos like uh, a bro science life kind of guy, I think that's his YouTuber name, where I'm just all about joking around and entertainment, even if I managed to build up a 100,000 people worth of following on various social media platforms, I mean, how translatable would that be in terms of being able to sell some kind of an informational product at one point? I mean, why would anybody want to listen to me if I was all about just entertainment? Uh, And the other related point to that is that I always looked at myself as the kind of guy who would eventually want to put out long-form type of content. So in that vein, would it make sense to try to build up a huge following with the type of content that I'm not intending to keep up in the long term? You know, maybe you could make an argument that it could make sense. But if you take into account how much less I would enjoy producing that type of a content and how much less likely I would be to be consistent with it, I'm not sure that it would be worth it. 
And uh, having this realization helped me to put a lot of things into perspective. So now my mindset is I'm putting out this long form type of content because that's what I intend to do long term for one. And for two, the amount of following that I'm able to obtain this way is far more valuable than a following even if bigger in size that I would be able to get by producing some different type of content that is just not really coherent with my long-term plans. In fact, now when I see that I lost some subscribers, I see that, that as a win because maybe so far they were here because they thought that my YouTube channel was about something that it's not. So in short, long-form podcasts will be the future of sustainable self-development according to my plans. And another big thing that I'm excited to talk about the first time here is that I really want to branch out a little bit. So early on, I decided to name my podcast and my little brand Sustainable Self-Development because this thing is about personal development. At least that was my initial plan. And you know, over time, the content of this podcast really kind of narrowed itself down to just evidence-based fitness. And you know, I had some people on about other topics such as Gary Wilson from yourbrainonporn.com or Jenny Blake who wrote career advice types of books in the personal development space. But really, I didn't really know how to branch more out to these realms. And in this upcoming year, I really do plan to make this a much more wide-ranging podcast about other topics that relate to personal development. So I want to have people on to talk about social skills or language learning or business-type concepts of, or productivity or, for example, schedule-making, which is a kind of a big personal challenge of mine. Um, now, the podcast will still have a general bias towards fitness, training, and nutrition because it's just such a massive passion of mine. But I will not have episodes dedicated to some super specific nerdy stuff in this front, such as Lucy metabolism or something like that. I mean, if you are interested in that kind of stuff, then Sigma Nutrition is a fantastic resource for that. Or my buddy Sotak Andre uh, is coming up with his podcast and that, that will be also geared towards more sciencey topics. But my podcast, for the most part, will have a, a broader, more bird's eye look at these things. Another thing um, that I plan to do with my content production is to be even more honest than I have been so far and talk about, for example, about my history with NoFap. And if you don't know what that is, Google it. And, you know, talking about these things will be uncomfortable, but I believe that being transparent about these things will be a key component of making this podcast more relatable. And, you know, speaking of relatability... At this point, of course, as of 2017, December 31, I know that the number of subscribers and following that I have is pretty small, but I have to say, and I've voiced this numerous times before, that I am incredibly grateful for the small but incredibly high quality following that I managed to acquire up until now. So if I look through the comment section below my videos, it's almost exclusively constructive, supportive comments or criticisms or some interesting discussions that are going on in the comment section. And I, and I have to say that I'm just incredibly proud that one of the themes that emerge again and again in the comment section is along the lines of, wow, man, your content is so great. I don't get why you don't have more subscribers. And my thinking is always the same, that... I will take the small number of super high quality subscribers that I currently have over a much higher number of negative, 
I guess, less cool subscribers, I guess. So, you know, I'd like to take this as an opportunity to thank everyone who has been here to support me along the way. Uh, your comments and feedback has been inv invaluable. And I really hope to see you around in 2018 as well. Uh, one final thing I'd like to mention is that I'm currently making an effort to bring uh, kind of the supporting infrastructure of SSD to life. So the Facebook page and group on Facebook will become more active because I want to make that kind of the central hub where people can ask questions, drop comments, submit requests for future podcast guests and topics, and eventually uh, the blog will come to life as well. So right now I do have a blog called susdvc, so susdvc.com. And now it's basically a little dinosaur that is only serving the function of hosting my podcasts. So that will be um, helped out a little too in this upcoming year. And of course, I'll let you know when that happens. Um, so other than that, guys, I'll think I'll cut this right here. So I wish you a super cool 2018. And uh, by the time I'll talk to you the next time about these kinds of things. So before 2019, I hope that you have built at least five kilos of muscle, dropped 2% body fat, gotten laid a bunch of times and learned at least one language. So um, see you all next time.